0: All right. Hey, um, I got a one more announcement to kind of bring to your attention. I didn't want to overwhelm you because I know you guys get so excited about announcements, you could hardly stand yourself. So uh, in um, the second service, the 11 o'clock service, the last several weeks, we're down to just really a handful of parking stalls on Sunday morning. And so we're kind of thinking forward into a third service and we're going to try to encourage some folks from the 11 o'clock hour to come to the 9.15 hour. But eventually, I think we're going to have to go to a third service. And so here, I just want to ask this, and you can write it on your card just in a way. If you will, on your card, if you'll just write in the corner right, on the back side of the, the right-hand corner, 9.15. If you'll just write the, the, the number, nine, you know, the time 9.15, all right? And then here's what I want you to just think about. You're not signing up for it. I'm not going to hold you... Uh, hold you accountable to it, or any of that kind of stuff. If we offered an 820 service. Hey, let me just kind of tell you something. Uh, you may not know this, but God is all-powerful, all-knowing, right? He never sleeps nor slumbers, right? He is alert at 820. I'm just letting you know. I mean, some of you don't believe that God even exists until nine. 37 right so uh anyhow if you're an early bird uh and you would be interested the services will go to to an hour uh right now we're doing about 70 75 minutes so we'll be have to become a little more disciplined in that but if you're interested if you would attend if it were offered uh 8 8:15 or 8:20 rather just write 8:20 under it and that will help us to do some planning all right okay now i got your attention you ready so inside your program is an outline. I want to encourage you guys to follow along today as we look at um, spiritual growth in our life and we look at what it means to grow spiritually. Um, I said this last week, what would it be like if we were a church that uh, imagining on a Sunday morning a person who comes in into the lobby, maybe they're far from God, maybe they're They've never entered into a personal relationship with God and they come in, they're greeted by the friendliest church in the whole wide world, right? And they're welcomed and they're loved. In fact, you even go so far to take a risk and say, hey, instead of sitting by yourself, why don't you come and sit with us? Imagine that, right? And then imagine that God's spirit begins to speak to them in their heart on Sunday morning as they sing the songs and we we hear the word taught. And they give their life to Christ, and it completely changes the direction that their family. What 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 if we were a church that a person maybe they grew up in the church, but they got burned. They're you know they're not happy. They went to a bad church. Whatever the case is, they're like you know what I love God. I just don't like the followers of God. I don't like anything to do with organized religion. That's why welcome to our church. We're disorganized here, so uh, you'll fit right in. And what if that person? Ended up saying you know what I can hang out with these people You know, they take god serious. They don't take themselves too serious. They love jesus. They're filled with grace I think i'm going to sign up for that. I want to be a part of it Well, what what if some of you have been walking with the lord for a long time? And all of a sudden you're like, you know my my walk is I mean, it's good It's powerful, but i'm not using all the gifts that god has given me And, and what if some of those of you who have been walking with the Lord for a long time, you decide you're going to start investing in new believers and young believers and young families, and you begin to make a difference. What, what, what if we were a church like that? See, that's what the 30-day church challenge is all about. It's to raise our passion and our devotion to Christ. Because I actually believe that that was what the, fir- the New Testament first century church looked like and felt like. In fact, if you read with me in your top of your outline, Acts chapter 2, verse 42, here it is as they begin to to go. I've said this all along. It's the purest version of the New Testament church. And here's what it says. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. We're going to look at that today. To the breaking of bread and prayer. Everyone uh, was filled with awe Uh, And many wondrous and miraculous things were done by the apostles. Verse 44. All the believers were together. They had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods. They gave to one another as he had need. Verse 46. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts, breaking the uh, bread in their homes and eating together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And then look at the last part of the verse. And the Lord added to their numbers daily those who are going to be saved. See, I think that's the model that we shoot for, right? And that's really what the 30-day church challenge is about. It's about raising our passion, our love for Christ, and our love for others, and that we function, right? And I'm not saying that we we don't do a good job, that we function like the New Testament church here in Acts chapter 2, all right? And so today, as part of that, We're going to look at discipleship or growing in our spiritual life, all right? So I want to ask you a couple questions, and then we're going to jump into today's lesson. In your outline, number one, what is the purpose of the church? Now, I kind of let the cat out of the bag a little bit, and you guys are the sharpest group I've talked to today, so you'll no doubt get the answer to that. And the answer to that, what is the the purpose of the New Testament church? Church, what is it? To make disciples, right? Sure, look, at, look with me in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. Then Jesus uh, came to them and he said, all authority in heaven and earth have been given to me, verse 19, therefore, right? W- whenever the word therefore is in the scripture, we always ask, what is it therefore, right? So it's referring back, all authority has been given to Christ and he is ultimately gonna give it to us and, and our, uh, our, our, we are commissioned To go and to make disciples. There's a two part, right? There's the discipleship part of it or the edification part of it. And then there's the mission part of it. There's the go part of it. You see that? So that is the purpose of the New Testament church. That we are to go and that we are to make disciples of all people, right? Of all people, whether it be locally here or whether it be at the other end of the earth. We are to go and we are to make disciples disciples then the next question in your outline there is if we we're to make disciples what is the purpose of uh the purpose of making disciples you got that filled in <laughs> oh, how would you guys function at 8 20 just i'm just thinking what is the purpose of right you got that the purpose is to make disciples then the next question in your outline is well what's a disciple what is a disciple? Here's what's interesting about church and about what's spiritual formation. <clears throat> Have you ever bought one of those boxes that ultimately you make a desk or you make a bookcase or whatever it is, and there's like 40 gazillion pieces, right? And, and, and you look at it, and there's like one page of directions and they're not really written very well, and you're not really sure, and you got 8,700 screws, dowels, glue, all these different pieces, and you kind of look at the pieces, and you look at the paper, and you kind of look, right? And then if you're as smart as I am, you just decide to throw the directions away and go for it, right? And then about midway through, you realize that you've been using the wrong dowels the whole time, and you glued them and now you've got to somehow figure out how to unglue them. And so you're grabbing them with pliers and you're twisting, right? And and there's no doubt that you've all thought this, right? You thought, who is the engineer that makes these drawings and that? I mean, are they in the same world? Are they in the same company? I mean, well, hello, right? right? We've all been there, right? And it's confusing and it's frustrating. Well, I think it is the same when it comes to... Answering the question, what is a disciple when it comes to spiritual life? Because some of us would say a disciple is someone that you go and when they're going to have a a meeting or a fellowship somewhere and they're going to play Bible trivia, you want that person on your team, right? Because they know all the stuff. And they can tell you who the Levites, the Hittites, the Mosquito Bites, they can tell you all that stuff, right? And you just go, wow, that is amazing. You go, that is a disciple, right? Some of you who have maybe more of a passion for the gift of mercy and you like mercy ministries, and so you think uh, helping folks who are in a benevolent situation, you think that's what discipleship is all about. It's going out and it's helping the folks out who are underprivileged. And that's what it is, right? And and then you have other people who think that their gift is more evangelism. By the way, there's just a small percentage of, of Christ followers actually have the gift of evangelism, maybe like 2%. And you think that every service ought to be a Billy Graham crusade. And every message needs to be turn or burn. Speak about hell, pastor, Give them the hell sermon, right? <laughs> and, that's what you, and that's what you think discipleship is all about, right? And, and so what ends up happening is we get this like smorgie Bob look. It's a cafeteria look of what discipleship is. And here's what we all do. We just kind of walk away going, I have no idea whether I'm a disciple. I have no idea whether I'm growing. I have no idea except for I'm great at Bible trivia. And someone said, I'm a disciple, right? So what I want to do today is help you. And at the end of it, uh, of the message, I want you to then assess your spiritual life, your spiritual growth, and uh, what's taking place in your life. And you'll be able to kind of discern what a disciple is. So you got your outline there. What is a disciple? Here's what a disciple is. It is uh, to be a disciple of one, to follow his or her, precepts, in this case it's Christ, so it's a his, uh, to follow his precepts and instructions. So to be a disciple is to follow Christ's precepts and instructions. All right, so when we ask, well, what is a disciple? It is a person who is following that. So let's take a look. The first mark, there are three that I'm going to give you, the first mark of discipleship Is number one is to follow, right? To follow me, and that involves the head. Okay, now we're going to come back and read. You want to go back to to Matthew chapter uh, 4, verse 19. Here's what Jesus said He's calling Peter and Andrew. They are his very first disciples that he's calling. They're fishing at the Sea of Galilee. They're out throwing their nets. Three ways of fishing back then. They would fish with a hook and a line. They would fish with a drag net. Two boats would drag a net through the lake. Or the third would be a little round net that they would throw out and it would sink. And whatever fish were underneath, that, that they would, the fish would sink. They would capture that. And that's what Peter and Andrew are doing. They waited out. They're probably waist deep. They throw out the net. They're, they're, they're fishing. Jesus walks by and he's going to call his first two disciples. And he is going to help us to understand what it is to be a true disciple. And he's going to say to them, number one, I got a little ahead of myself. Number one is he's going to say, follow me. And that involves the head. All right. Now, you see below that, it says, do I know? And I'm going to come back to that at the end of the message. So the first part of discipleship is to recognize that there is an invitation that's given by Christ to come and follow, right? Right. So Jesus gives an invitation to Peter and to Andrew. Hey, are you willing to come and follow me in my life? Okay. Now, they don't recognize completely at this point where they're going, and they're not sure of all the details. But there's an invitation that has been given. They've accepted his authority. They've, they've accepted who he is, and they begin to follow. Now, look with me in your outline. Follow means to be the same way with, all right? It does not mean that you walk behind Jesus in kind of like a preschool class where you all hold the rope and you just kind of walk along. That's not what it is to follow. It means to be in the same way with, to be of the same mind as Christ, to be of the same heart as Christ, to be of the same will as Christ. If you were here last week, we talked about that. Right. And so we are to have the same passion, the same purpose, the same things that break the heart of Christ ought to break our heart as well. And so when we begin to look at what it is to be a disciple, it is to follow in the same way with and it begins in our head. Are we tracking so far? All right. Look with me in John chapter 12, verse 26. Jesus said, whoever serves me, what's the next word? Must follow me. Okay, so whoever serves Jesus must follow him. Now watch this. And where I am, my servant's servant will be also, right? So here it is. You can't follow Christ unless you're serving, and you can't serve Christ unless you're following, and you can't be a follower of Christ unless you're where Christ is. Otherwise, you're just kidding yourself. You're just kidding yourself. You're not truly a disciple. You're just out perhaps taking a walk somewhere and you're just meandering through the park. And so as we begin to look at it and we begin to see his calling of Peter and Andrew, it begins in the head. It's an invitation given by the Lord. And we begin to move in the same way with. Now look with me in your outline. Knowledge without obedience leads to pride. Now don't look at anybody who may fit that description. But there are those folks. And you know what we call those folks? Legalistic people. Right? Right? You can answer. That's, that's fine. Sure. They're like Pharisees. They're like the Sadducees. They're like the religious leaders in Jesus' day. They had all the knowledge down, but there was one problem. It hadn't reached their heart yet. And they had facts and figures. Remember? I mean, they even tried to stump Jesus. And they would throw things out. They had all that stuff down. But it hadn't translated into love in their life. All right? So look with me in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. Paul is speaking to the church. The Gentile believers who came to know Christ were wrestling with the idea that they were raised sacrificing food to the pagan gods. So that was like their past life. And they were wrestling with that. They had come to know Christ as Lord and Savior, but in them they still remembered as a kid and perhaps as a young adult that their parents and their family would take food and fruits and vegetables and so forth and they would sacrifice them to... false gods the pagan gods all right and then that food was taken to a market and it was sold kind of out the back door right and and so Paul is speaking to believers who understand that one pagan gods don't exist and whatever food's given to them it's just food it's no big deal right and they're not stuck on that so theologically They understand that there is no other God other than the Lord God. And anything that's given to a pagan God, it's not going to harm them in any way. But they were not sensitive to the conscious, the scripture says, to the conscious of those new believers who were still wrestling with the sacrifice and was giving food to the pagan gods. And so this is what Paul writes to them. He says this, now about food sacrificed to idols, we know that. That we all possess knowledge, right? You know that, God, that, that there's no pagan God. You know it's just food. Food is food, right? It doesn't matter. It's not going to harm you if you eat it. We all know that. And then he goes on and he says, Knowledge puffs up or makes you prideful or arrogant. All right? But look what he says. But love builds up. Right? Love builds up. Verse 2. The man who thinks he knows something does not yet know as he ought to know. In other words, you can be theologically correct, but if the theological position that you're in is not harmonized with God's grace and mercy, then you've missed the mark. You are fully yourself. Okay? That there has to be the knowledge of scripture, right? Accepting who Christ is and the authority of his uh, of him being the son of God, the Messiah, right? But there also has to be the idea that it isn't just knowledge, facts, and figures. It begins to translate into our heart where we look at people who aren't where they need to be and we don't condemn them. Our heart breaks for them, right? Yeah. And so... Is he looks at the church? He's going, you know, you guys, you're strong in theology, but you're weak in love. And as a as a result, you walk around, you're patting yourself on the on the back, and you're saying, "Oh, look at how spiritual I am! Look at how spiritual I am!" But in reality, you're missing the mark. That's not love. And so your theology, your theological position, needs to make sure that it is in harmony. Knowing right should equal in doing right. Otherwise. You just know, right? Now, if you look at last week, and I threw a couple passages in there, First Thessalonians from last week, it says, therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact, some of you are doing. The word encourage means to call near, to invite, to invoke, and to build up means to be a, a home builder or to construct or to, to confirm, right? And so we're called alongside of people to get into their life, to encourage them, to build them up, But our knowledge needs to begin to translate into our heart for them as well. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? All right. And then that takes us into the next mark of spiritual maturity. The second mark of spiritual maturity is we find uh, number two. And it says, and I will make you. And that involves the heart. And that is, do I know it's true? All right. So in verse 19, he says, come follow me. And then he goes on and he says, and I will make you. And you see in your outline, this is the process of transformation, or what we call in scripture the sanctification. Right? This is where the Spirit of God begins to work. It starts with an invitation. Jesus says, Come follow me. You accept the invitation. You begin to follow. The Spirit of God comes into our life, and He begins to sanctify us. So, really, the mark, the second mark, is really done by the Holy Spirit in and through our life, and we begin to change who we are. He begins to shape and He begins to transform us into the image of Christ. And you see in your outline the definition of "will make." It means to render or make, right? Or one uh, oneself uh one or oneself anything and then the last part is really the better description or cause a person or thing to become something so the invitation is given by christ jesus says come follow me and you say okay lord i'm gonna follow the spirit of god dwells within us and he the spirit of god begins to shape and mold us into the image of christ and so the second mark of being a disciple is your heart begins to change you begin to see things in perhaps in a different way it starts in the head it translates into the heart as the spirit of god begins to sanctify us look with me in in romans chapter uh, 8 verse uh, 29 here's what it says for those god foreknew he also predestined to be conformed circle the first the, the first three letters there the con right the the, the prefix of con Is to be with. That's what it means. With, right? And and so, so he says that we are to those who God uh, foreknew. He also predestined to be conformed with the image of Christ, right? So when we invite the, take the invitation of Christ saying, "Come, follow me." In the second part of discipleship, is we are going to be conformed with the image of Christ. We begin to be shaped. And molded into his likeness. You look with me in your outline. He transforms how we see the world. What we value. And what we consider to be important. And so I'm just going to hit the pause button. If you're a follower of Christ. There should be seasons in your life. Where you look back. And your interest. Your values. And what you find to be important today. Is different than it was in the past. If it is still the same, if it is still the same, you need to go back to step one and ask yourself, have I taken the invitation to follow Christ? Or number two, which could be the, the situation, that your heart has grown hard to the prompting of the Spirit, and you're pushing back on God trying to change you. Therefore, your heart has grown hard, and you're not being conformed into His image. But if your interest and your values are the same today as it was way back when you were not a Christ follower, you need to seriously take a look at your spiritual condition to figure out what's going on. Because the Spirit of God is dwelling within you, and the goal of the Spirit of God in your life is to convict you of areas of your life that sin that you need to adjust, but it is also the sanctification process where it begins to conform us with the image of christ does that make sense romans chapter 12 verse 2 so he writes and he says do not conform with the image of the world right so if we just take the same the, the the prefix of conform you're right we don't want to be shaped or molded into the image of the world so he says do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed. And that the word trans there, the prefix for that is change, right? So we're going to be changed into the image of Christ. Well, how? By the renewing of your mind. Your mind is going to be different. You've been given a new heart, a new mind, a new spirit in you, right? And, the, and that change begins to take place. In our life as God begins to move and he begins to uh, shape us into his image. So it starts in our head. Jesus says, come follow me. And when you say, Lord, I'm going to follow you, then the spirit of God dwells within you and he begins to shape. He begins to change. He begins to conform who you are. Your wants, your desires, your values, your priorities begin to change. Are we tracking okay? Now notice... None of this has to do with knowledge of Scripture. Now, I'm not saying that that's not an important part. But we see the transformation taking place. It isn't about Bible facts and figures, and I'm a great Bible trivia folk person. Right? We need to know that stuff. But that's not the answer to it. And unfortunately, I think that's where most of us you know, see, see what a mature believer uh, is all about. Second Corinthians chapter uh, three verse seventeen. <clears throat> Look what it says. Now the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And all of us should say hallelujah to that, right? Verse eighteen, and we who uh, with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory. And we'll stop right there. Okay. So as a believer in Jesus Christ, your spiritual blinders have been removed. You see God for His glory. Are we tracking, right? So, so you, if you've ever had a conversation with a person and you say, man, God loves you. God wants to enter into a personal relationship with you. He's got great things for your life. He wants to give you a whole new different direction in your life and they just don't see it. And then you step back and you're like, well, maybe I'm not saying it right. Maybe I got to work on my delivery and all this other stuff, right? And we, and we go through all that stuff. There's spiritual blinders on their eyes there's a veil over their face they can't see that so instead of working on your delivery maybe you need to but instead of working on your delivery you ought to pray that god would remove the blinders to their eyes right so he says to us he says hey the veil has been removed it's been taken away and we have an uh, uh, unveiled faces all reflecting the lord's glory And then goes on and he says, and are being transformed into his likeness with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is spirit. Right? So there's the transformation, the change that takes place as the spirit of God begins to. And here's what's so amazing to me. The God who knows my flaws has extended an invitation to me and said, hey, Dan, come follow me well, Lord, I don't know if I'm worthy enough. I don't know if I can do it. I'm not sure if I'm spiritual enough for it. No, no, that isn't your job. Your job is to accept the invitation. My job is to transform you. And when you accept the invitation and you say, Lord, change me. I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to be obedient to you. The spirit of God begins to transform us and shape us into his image. And so our responsibility is just purely taking the invitation and then following his lead in our life. And the Spirit of God begins to transform us, in, in our being, conform us into the image of Christ, right? And so to me, it's just an amazing thing that takes place spiritually in our life. And so it, tr- it transforms our wishes, our wants, our desires We no longer have my agenda, my plan, my whatever it is. We've stepped out of the selfish world and we begin to become a servant of the king. Well, why is that? Well, because I accepted the invitation and God's beginning to work in my life through the power of the Holy Spirit to conform and shape me into the image of Christ, where I embrace his mind, where I embrace his heart where I embrace his will with what breaks the heart of Jesus should break my heart, what he is passionate about, I should become passionate about because he shapes me into that image. We following so far? Which leads to the third mark of being a disciple. The third mark is fishers of men, and this involves the hands. Okay, so we have the heart, or the head rather, the heart and the hands in our life. In verse 19, and he, he says, come follow me, I will make you fishers of men. And then look at verse 20. And at, what's the word? No, nope, my verse says, when they retired, the kids grew up, moved out, paid off the house, everything slowed down. Then they decided, well, do we want to follow or not? We're going, eh, I don't know. You know, it's always funner to go do this. I know funner's not a word, and it's always better to go do that. I think. I think I'm just going to pause, Lord and I'm not going to let go of my net. I'm just going to do my own thing. He calls them to be fishers of men, and verse 20 says, at once they left their net. Now, when we read that, we think, well, probably the nets weren't that good anyway, right? They were probably old. For us, you know what that would mean? They left their job to follow Christ. They walked into the boss's office and go, I'm out of here, thanks, it's been good. Probably it meant that they distanced themselves from family members as well. They were willing to walk away from their profession, they were willing to walk away from uh, their family perhaps in order to become a Christ follower. Now, I'm not suggesting that all of you, I mean, some of you are like, that's the word I needed on Monday, I'm walking into the boss and I'm saying, you know, hey, have you ever heard that Johnny Paycheck song or... Here, let me sing it to you. Take this, you know, right? Now, I'm not saying that, but you're writing it down right now. Who's that guy? All right. But for them to be a follower of Christ was a radical shift and complete change in their life. It was a, it was a total change in, the, in their environment, in their life, and everything that they had to do, Right? And so it begins with the head, it works into our heart, and ultimately it translates, the passion of the kingdom of God translates into what we begin to do in our life. Now here's the problem with the Bible trivia mentality that most churches have, especially in the Western, uh, you know, in, 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 in North America. Here's what we do. We get in a Bible study group, right, and I'm all for it. You just heard me say, get in a Bible study group, but to do three things, to grow, to care for each other, and to serve with one another, right? But here's what we do. We get in a circle and we say, man, you know how screwed up this world is? I know. Man, I was watching the news the other day, and, right, and the, da-da-da-da-da-da, and I, I mean, I, it's it's off the hook. It's crazy. I mean, we need to have a revival, blah, 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 blah right? And, and then you go, well, <clears throat> hey, let's not do anything about it, you know, wink, wink, nod, nod. Let's come back. We'll talk about it next week, too, Right? And we get back together next week. We oh, hey, how's it going? Oh, the world's all screwed up. I heard a statistic the other day. And, you know, the marriages and the kids are off the hook and they're disrespectful. And, you know, we got there We're had $19 trillion in debt. And the government says, I can't find any money to save. And you're like, what the world's going on here, right? What are we going to do? I don't know. Let's come back next week. We'll talk about it some more. Right. And we do that. Folks. If you believe something, you've got to do it. Otherwise, you're just kidding yourself. And unfortunately, churches in North America, we have become great at putting together teams and Bible studies and committees. And we talk about it, we talk about it, we talk about it. And we leave and we come back, we talk about it, we talk about it, we talk about it. Man, my mentality is like just do something. Even if it's wrong, let's just do it, right? We'll try it. If it doesn't work, we'll go, that didn't work. But it's better than getting around going, well, what do you think about that? I don't know. I got the statistic over here. Well, let's meet Tuesday. We'll talk about it some more, right? And then we pray, oh, Lord, change their heart. I mean, don't use me to change their heart, but Lord, just change their heart. Anybody here believe that? <laughs> Here's a verse for you guys to hold on to if that's where your mind is at. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 15. And he died for all. Those who, and circle the word live, because we're going to do a little drawing in our book here in a minute. For those who live shall no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was Risen again. All right? Just stop. If you're a Christ follower, it is no longer your life. It is no longer your agenda. It's no longer. You have been bought with the blood of Christ. And you are alive spiritually because you have accepted an invitation... And the blood of Christ and the death of Christ has purchased you. And that verse says that I no longer live for myself. I don't have the right to go to the kingdom of God in in the presence of the Lord in prayer and tell the Lord what I want to do. It's not my life. I've been purchased with the blood of Christ. Verse 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation, the old is gone and the new is coming. we all go hallelujah for that. but here's what we want: we want the new life, we want to put away the old life, but we still want to call the shots. Unfortunately, that is your old life that's filled with yourself. Are we following? So you can't go to him and say, hey, Lord, this is what I want to do. He says, no, you're new. In fact, you've been bought with the blood of Christ. It's no longer your choice. It's no longer your wishes, your wants. Now, can God give you desires? Absolutely, you can. Verse 18. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us The Ministry of Reconciliation. Pause. Look up here, class. When you accepted the invitation to follow Christ, He has given you the Ministry of Reconciliation. But I don't want the Ministry of Reconciliation. It's not a choice. With salvation... Your life has been put to death. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. I've been bought with the blood of Christ. It's no longer my wishes, my wants, my agenda. It's His. And He has given me the ministry of reconciliation. It's not either or. You have been given the ministry of reconciliation because you have been saved. You can't be saved and not have the ministry of reconciliation. We've fallen so far. <laughs> I didn't say if you liked it. I just asked you if you're following right. <clears throat> Verse 19. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. And again all the church says hallelujah for that. Not counting men's sin uh, sins. Against them and we all say hallelujah to that past present and future sins put away And he has committed to us circle the word us and then draw a line to the word live Okay Because if you're part of the us It's because you're living because christ is in you Okay, so the live and the us are connected So he has committed to us the ministry of reconciliation. Verse 20. We are therefore Christ ambassadors. You don't work for the federal government. You work for the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Right? You don't drive around with a funny license plate on your car that says whatever ambassador. You're a king of the kings. Right? I mean, how how much better is that? Maybe not so much. All right. So we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. Shall I go back and read that again? We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God is making his appeal through us. How does the world see an invisible God? The Ecclesia, the body of Christ. The body of Christ. Now follow, follow. If we're sitting in a room, in a a group, talking about the problems of this world, and we never venture into the world where the problems are, how does the world see the body of Christ? They don't see it. They don't see it. When Jesus left, he said, all authority in heaven and earth have been given to me. Therefore, go into a classroom, have a circle group, have a prayer meeting, talk about all the problems in the world, and when I come back, I'll meet you in your room. All authority in heaven and earth have been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And surely, as much as ISIS wants to end Christianity, and surely I will be with you always to the very end of the age. They may destroy the uh, the, 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 the historical uh, settings of Christianity, but here's the reality. Christianity will never go extinct until the Lord takes us out of here, Right? In your outline. So when a disciple's heart is transformed. It moves into action. It moves into action. The very last part. Skip Ephesians 2. A growing disciple of Christ is a person. Who is following Christ. Take the invitation. Come follow me is being transformed in the heart, and I will make you, which leads to a commitment to the mission of Christ, Fishers of (laughs) Men. If you evaluate your spiritual life, and you don't have those three marks in your life, then you need to step back, and you need to really take a hard look at your life. Have you taken the invitation? Have you accepted Christ? Is God changing your wants and your desires in your heart? Is the spirit of God transforming you? Are you being shaped into the image of Christ? And is the shaping and molding into the image of Christ, is it compelling you to be passionate about the things that that break the heart of Christ? If, if if it isn't, then you need to step back, and and be honest about it in your assessment. Don't don't pretend, but take a step back and ask, how am I doing in my spiritual development? Am I truly a disciple? Am I am I am I? And when I say truly, I'm not talking about salvation, losing it, that type of stuff. I mean, uh, you know, is, is God working in my life, or or am I pushing back so much on Him? That he's not conforming me into those images, the image of Christ in my life. Is he he doing that? So on the sides, or on the bottom of yours, on your outline, the three I asked you. I said, do you know? Do you know it's true? Do you know it's true? And am I willing to do something about it? Okay? Now, let me just kind of share this with you. We, and I'm going to switch the word, we believe lots of things. Do you agree with that? But it's not until we know and know that it's true and then that knowledge compels us to do something or do we take ownership in it. So let's just have a little game here. I think that we all know that reading our Bible on a regular basis Is what God's called us to do. Do you agree with that? Do we know? Yeah we know. Do we know it's true? Do do we know it's true in the sense. That the word never comes back void. Do we know that it shapes and molds us. And transforms us. Do, Do we know it's true? Do we know it's true? And are we doing it? See, here's my suggestion to you and my thesis. Most of us stop at the second mark of discipleship. We never get to the doing, the action part. And in our life, if you aren't doing all three, then it's going to frustrate you. And oftentimes in in folks' life, they'll say, you know, there's something just missing in my spiritual life. Right? Have you accepted the lead of Christ? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Is God shaping you? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Are you doing anything for his kingdom? oh, I don't have time right I, I don't I haven't found my niche. I got kids, I got this, I got that, right? Unless you begin to exercise out your faith, it's, it, you're going to be frustrated with it. it's going to be frustrating to you and so so when you just think about your spiritual your spiritual life, do you know do you know it's true? Do you know it's true, and are you willing to do it? in your life that is a picture of what christ made in a very simplistic way now it's not everything to discipleship but it it certainly gives us a picture of the very first two disciples that he called to explain to them what he's going to end up doing in and through their life all right so here's my challenge you could jot this down my challenge to you and there's a couple of them one do you have a personal relationship with christ Have you accepted the invitation to come follow him? Second is, if you're not in a community group, you need to get in a community group. And if you're in a community group, then you need to tell your leader, Pastor Dan says this, we grow, we care, and we serve together. This isn't going to be a Bible study only. This is going to be three components. We grow, we care, and we serve together. Right. So perhaps some of you need to get in a community group. And then the last thing is, I put in there, and it's a real simple devotional thing. It's just to help you think through today's message. It's not going to take you very long, maybe three or four minutes. Each day, there's five days in the week, because I'm such a gracious, wonderful teacher. I've given you Saturday off, right? Unless you misbehave, and I'll give you Saturday school. You'll come in my office on Saturday when I'm here, and you'll sit in my office, right? And you'll watch me outline my message. (laughs) Just kidding. (laughs) Community group, devotion. The first one is, have you accepted Christ and the invitation to follow him? So I'm gonna ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And before we just jump in, let's just thank God for the privilege. Lord, thank you for the privilege that we have to serve in something far bigger than ourselves. Lord, thank you that the work The devotion, the time, the sweat, the tears, perhaps even in some cases the blood that we shed for your kingdom's work does not go in vain. That it goes towards something that that lasts for all eternity. And Lord, we're just so grateful that you allow us, that you allow us to be a part of your kingdom's work. And Father, I pray that you will compel us To serve in your kingdom. Father that you will. Begin to shape and mold us. through the power of the Holy Spirit. Into the image of Christ. Lord break us. For the things that break the heart of Christ. Lord give us an awareness. To the things that Jesus is aware of. In this world. And Lord. Thank you for the invitation. That you give us to follow. And maybe you're here today. And you've never accepted. His invitation to follow him. And I want to just give you that opportunity to do so. We give you a little ABC. A is admit that we've made mistakes, that we're sinners, that we've missed the mark. Every single one of us in here has made mistakes. Every one of us has missed the mark when it comes to our spiritual life. B is to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that he died on a cross and that he rose again. And C is to confess him to be the leader of your life, the Lord of your life, and as we just say that little prayer here in a moment, if it's your desire to invite Jesus into your life, as I say this prayer, just silently repeat after me, just say, Lord Jesus, today, I admit that I've missed the mark. I admit that I'm a sinner, that I've made mistakes. And I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that He died on a cross and then He rose again. And today I confess Him, to be my Lord and my Savior. Father, thank you for loving me. Thank you for pursuing me. Thank you for giving me the invitation. To follow you. And Lord, I give you all the praise. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed. Father, as we give back to you. A portion of what you blessed us with. Lord, we want to give back with a cheerful heart. We know that you love a cheerful giver. Lord, uh, uh, empower us to be wise stewards. Of all that you've entrusted us with. The folks. The, the, the um finances the assets that you've entrusted lord we want to be wise stewards we want to honor you in every area of that we give you all the praise and all the glory and all god's people said all right